Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. That means we cannot wait to get up and get to work in the morning so that we can minister to the needs of the people, so that we can spend time in the Word and say, God, what do you want your people to hear? That's the call of the pastor, and they shouldn't do it for dishonest gain. Now, here's the thing. In John chapter 10, Jesus talked about how a hireling is one who is there for dishonest gain. A hireling isn't a true shepherd who has a relationship with the sheep and has a vested interest in the caring of these sheep. He says a hireling is someone who's there just for the paycheck, just to feed his flesh, just to build up his bank account. He's there for dishonest reasons. He's there for selfish reasons. And Jesus said this, that the moment things get dangerous for the flock... In John chapter 10, the, you'll know if he's a hireling because the hireling will run off and leave the sheep by themselves to be devoured by the wolves. A true shepherd is the one who stays and remains and leads and feeds and tends and cares for even in the midst of trials and persecution and suffering. Listen very carefully because in the days ahead, as things begin to get worse and worse and continue to get worse and worse in our culture, we will be able to see who the true shepherds are and who the hirelings are by who remains when things get difficult. Did you hear me? The trial that is to come is what God will use to purify his church. And if your heart is not prepared when those trials come, whether you're a pastor or a person in the pews, when that trial comes, if your heart is not pure and ready, if your heart isn't ready for those trials and that persecution, beware. Beware. Because we're going to see the sheeps and the goats. We're going to see. It. It's going to be separated. We're going to see the hirelings and the shepherds. It's going to happen before our very eyes. And I want every single one of you to be ready. So he says, shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, listen to this, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but by being examples to the flock. See, Jesus said this, and I love this, some of my favorite verses in all the scripture, Mark chapter 10, he says, Jesus called them, the disciples, he says to them, you can bring that verse up, Mark chapter 10, there it is. Jesus called them to himself. He said to them, you know that those considered rulers over the Gentiles, they lord their position over them, right? And their great ones exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so amongst you whom I'm calling to shepherd and serve. Whoever desires to be first amongst you shall be the slave. Are you ready to serve in that way, shepherd? You see, in the world, in the world's economy, the person who has the most power is the person who has the most people working for him, right? 
Jesus says, in the economy of the kingdom, the person who's greatest in my eyes, the person who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven is not the one who has the most people answering to him. It's the one who's serving the most people, who's ministering to the most people, the one who's willing to give his life away and to pour his life out so that the needs of others can be met. Don't lord over them. Write this verse down in your notes in Ezekiel chapter 34. Go home and read that tonight, verses 1 through like around 16, and see how God gave Ezekiel a word for the false shepherds because they were not shepherding the people the way they were supposed to. They were there for dishonest gain, and they were ruling the people with great cruelty and being harmful and hurtful to the people. So God says, you beware, you better watch out because one day the true shepherd is going to come the true shepherd being Jesus. And when he comes, he's going to tend to these sheep and build these sheep up and strengthen these sheep. And every shepherd that is worth their weight in gold will look to Jesus as their example in tending to the flock. Now, he says this. He says, don't be lords over those entrusted to you. He says, you be an example to the flock. So the responsibilities of these shepherds, they're to shepherd they're to oversee, and finally, they're to be examples. And I know that's not in your outline, but if you want to write that down, that's great. Shepherd, oversee, and to be examples. To lead by example. To be the one who's willing to step out in faith first and say, this is what God is calling us as a people to, this is where he's calling us to go, so I'm going to step out in faith, and I'm going to trust that you'll follow after me. You remember the story in Joshua chapter 3 where the people of Israel are leaving Egypt behind, and the promised land is just beyond the Jordan River, and God calls the people, the, the priests who are leading the people to be the first ones to step out into a raging river, and he says, as you step out into the raging river, when your feet hit the water, the waters will stop, and the people will be able to walk across on dry ground. The scripture says that happened as the ark of the covenant came forward and the priests bearing that ark, as they stepped out into that raging river, the water stopped miles upriver and the people passed on dry ground because the people were willing to take that step. The priests were willing to take that step and the people were willing to follow. Lead by example. Lead by example. Check this out. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. Did you hear that? Paul's writing to Timothy, his protege. He says, you're supposed to be an example in these six areas. In your word, how you speak and your study of the word. In your conduct, your lifestyle. In your love, the way you love other people. In your spirit, the passion that you have for Jesus. In your faith, the belief that you have, how faith should rule your life, and in how pure your lifestyle is. Be an example in those six areas, young pastor. That's how they were called, that's how we as pastors are called to live, as an example in those areas. Now, this is a convicting thought, just for a minute. Think about this. What if, what if the church was following your example in those areas? What if everyone spent the same amount of time in the word that you do? What if everyone had the same amount of faith that you do? What if everyone gave to the work of the Lord the way you do? What if everyone served the church the way that you do? Where would the church be? 
See, the Lord is looking for leaders. Leaders are the ones who are willing to step out in faith and go first. As pastors, we are called to do that, but we're not the only ones called to step out in faith and to lead. The definition of a leader is someone who goes first, right? Someone who goes first. Now, men, in your homes, the way you are shepherding or pastoring in your homes, the way you're ministering in your homes, are you willing to go first? You cannot lead your family into the promised land, into the spirit-filled life, into what God wants for your family if you're not there first. It's impossible to do. You cannot lead your family into the presence of Jesus if you haven't been in the presence of Jesus yourself. Now, a dictator is someone who says, go. A shepherd is someone who says, let's go. Let's go together. Let's go on this walk, this journey together. You see the difference? Oh, finally, this last point in our first main point is that shepherds will have a reward. Look at this in verse 4. It says, when the chief shepherd, and again, Let's look at the snapshot of Peter's life. He would have recalled that Jesus gave this incredible teaching in John chapter 10. Read it tonight, John chapter 10, about how Jesus is the good shepherd, right? He tries to tell this story about a hireling is one who just there for his own purposes, his own gain, but the true shepherd is the one who comes in and out by the door and the sheep recognize his voice and the sheep follow him where he leads. And the disciples don't understand it. They just don't get it. They don't understand what Jesus is saying. They're like scratching their heads. So Jesus says, okay, I'm going to put it in plain English so that you can understand. I am the good shepherd. Everyone who came before me was the thief, right? He's talking them through this. And I love the fact that even the, the apostles didn't get what Jesus was saying sometime, right? Do you ever have to read and reread and reread the Bible so that it makes sense to you? That happened to the apostles. That happened to Peter. That happened to, to John and James. It happened to all of them. You're not alone, okay? Jesus says plainly, I am the good shepherd. And so here, Peter's writing, when the chief shepherd, when Jesus appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. All of the good that we do in this life that has a pure motive, that isn't because we want people to see us or take notice of us, or to build us up, or say, hey, what a great job you did, or hey, you did a good job with that sermon, or hey, you did a good job leading in worship, or hey, you did a great job in Sunday school. If we're not looking for the accolades of men, but we're doing it just so that we can bless and please and bring glory and honor to God, with those things we're going to receive a crown for, the scripture says. But do you realize the only reason why we should desire crowns is so that we have more to lay at the feet of Jesus when we're in glory? When we get to heaven, whatever good we've done, and we have these crowns, and we're, we're so filled with joy that he's given us these crowns, the scripture says, John chapter 4, you can read it, that we're just going to cast the crowns at the feet of Jesus. Say, everything I've ever done, I've done for you. Everything that I've ever done that was worthwhile, I've done for you. And so our purpose, our motive for having crowns in this life is just so that we have more to give to Jesus the day we see him face to face. How freeing is that, right? Just because I want to have more to worship Jesus with. That should be our motive. That should be why our heart would beat, right? And these crowns, they don't fade away. They last forever. 
So check this out. In verse 5, we're going to see in verse 5 that Peter is really going to kind of get to the heart of the matter of the congregation. And he's going to exhort the servants or the church, the servants in the church, that they too need to remain faithful. The shepherds have a role to play. They have a part to play. But so do you as God's servants, as the church, as those who are following after your shepherds. You have a role to play as well. And so he says this in verse 5. He says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. So he begins by saying, as a part of your faithfulness, servants, you're supposed to be submissive or to submit to your leaders. And we've talked about this a lot as we've gone through 1 Peter. The word literally means just to come under the care of, to trust someone to care for you. That you trust that there's someone that God has placed above you because he loves you and wants you to be protected. The way leadership works here at the church, it works well. Walter and I are completely different. The way we like to manage things and organize things, Walter is truly spirit-led, right? Another way to say that is that he doesn't organize things. I am like crazy about organizing things. And actually, when this church was built, it ruined me. Because now I'm even more so. I mean, my, my wife laughs at me because we get in the car to go to the drive-thru, and I'm already taking the kids' orders before they can see the menu. I want to know what you want to eat. Before I leave this driveway, you need to tell me. Because I don't want to get to the drive-thru, you know, the thing, and I don't want to be waiting for my kids to tell me what I need, right? I want to know when I get there. I want a list on the refrigerator of what the menu is this week, right? That's how bad I am. I've gotten really bad. And so in planning for the church... Walter trusts me enough to plan things out, to kind of map things out. And, you know, we have like a general calendar that the whole staff works with. But then I trust Walter enough, and I know God speaks to him and that God leads him. I trust Walter that, you know what, when this schedule isn't what God wants, he has the complete freedom. And he knows he does to come in and completely undo everything that I've done. To say that schedule is thrown out the window, this is what God wants. Why? Because I believe God is speaking to him, and I believe he's there so that I can learn and that I can come under. And so I submit to his leadership, and that's the way we're all to submit to the leadership of our shepherd. Do you understand? To submit, to say, I trust that God put you there so that I can learn from you, and so what you say where you lead, that is where I will follow. That is where I will follow. So we're to submit in that same way. And sometimes we view this word as a dirty word, but it's not a dirty word. Even Jesus submitted to his parents. The scripture says that after they went and they found him in, in the temple, kind of debating with the teachers there in the temple, he says, why did you worry about where I was? Don't you know I have to be about my father's business? And then it says that they left right? And that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, and he submitted to his parents. Now, this is how I know that Jesus is a pure spotless lamb, because the scripture says that while he was growing, even through his pubescent teenage years, he was obedient and submissive to his parents. That is like amazing, is it not? Jesus did it. Jesus submitted because that was the right thing to do, and that's the way we have been called to submit, that we're supposed to submit that same way, to be submissive. 
to be submissive. And then look at this again in verse 5. Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. Again, a snapshot in Peter's mind would have taken him back to that moment in John chapter 13 where Jesus took off his outer garments and he girded himself with a towel. Literally, it's a slave's apron, the apron of a slave. And he went and he washed the disciples' feet, ministering and serving them in humility. That's what this is talking about. The word there to be clothed means to tie around yourself the apron of a slave, to have that kind of humility. That's the way we're supposed to look at one another. Now think about this just for a second because a lot of times in our culture we think the word humble means that we have a low opinion of ourselves and that's not what the word means. The word humility means that we don't think of ourselves at all. We are constantly thinking of the other person first. Does that make sense to you? A humble person is not the person that goes around saying, I'm such a terrible person, I'm worthless, you know, how could God ever use me? That is still pride. They're still focused on themselves. The humble person is the person who isn't even thinking about themselves and are really willing to give themselves away. How can I serve? How can I bless? How can I minister? And that's what Peter says the congregation of servants are to do, that they're supposed to find an avenue to bless and meet the needs of another person. And he says why. He says why. He says because God resists the proud. That means opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. God hates pride. The book of Proverbs says that. In Isaiah chapter 14, we see Satan fall from heaven. He falls from heaven because he says in his heart, I'm going to make my throne above God's throne so that people will come and worship me, so that the angels will come and worship me rather than God. He says, I'm going to be God. And he's cast from heaven. In Genesis chapter 3, do you remember how Eve was tempted by Satan? He says, did God really say you shouldn't eat of that fruit? Says, God just said that because he knows that if you eat of that forbidden fruit, you're going to become like God and you'll know the difference between good and evil. You can be like God. And that's the same struggle that exists within each and every one of our hearts, that we can handle this life on our own, that we are good enough to control our own lives, to make our own decisions, to do what we want to do. And that is something that if you want to be saved, you have to humble yourselves enough to say, God, I can't do it. To say, I need grace. That's my only hope. God resists the proud. He opposes the proud heart. But he gives grace to those who come to him in humility and say, God, I give up. God, I surrender. God, I'm no longer going to try to do this on my own. I need you. Grace is available for that person. It says in verse six, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. If you humble yourselves, you won't have to be humbled by God. Have any of you ever had a humbling experience in your life that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt God did that to you to remind you that you need to be humble? Amen? If we humble ourselves, God will not have to humble you for you. And he will. He loves you enough to do it for you. He loves you enough to make you fall flat on your face and everybody laugh at you to make you humble. Because remember, grace is available to those who are humble. 
the, even that humbling experience is a form of God's grace. God saying, I love you enough to make you look like a fool so that you'll look to me. That's how good God is. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due time. If you'll humble yourselves, there's glory right around the corner. If you debase yourself, if you fall on your knees and on your face before the Lord, he's going to lift you up and he's going to lift you straight into heaven one day. And that's what awaits you if you'll humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Don't make him do it for you. And then it says we do this through casting all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. I love this in the Greek because in the Greek, the word casting means to throw or heave something that is just going to roll right back down on you. So here's the pictures. We're casting these cares on God, throwing it, and here it comes rolling right back down on us. And so we pick it back up and we throw it back, and here it comes rolling back down on us again. Why? Because God wants us to continually be coming into his presence to continually be casting our burdens and our cares upon him because he cares so much for us, because he loves us so completely and so perfectly. He says, I want you to keep casting, keep heaving, keep throwing that burden, that care, that anxiety, that worry, that doubt, those concerns. Trust in me and cast them upon me. I can handle it. Keep casting that burden upon me because I love you so much. I care for you so much. He says this in verse 8. He says, be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now listen, we're to be submissive, right? But we're also to stand firm. To stand firm in the midst of whatever's happening in our culture today. To stand firm. To be sober means to be in your right mind not be drunk, to not be crazy, just be in your right mind. And then he says this, be vigilant. The word means to be awake. And again, a snapshot of Peter's mind. He would have been reminded of when they were in the garden of Gethsemane and Peter's asking, please, I need you to wait with me and to pray with me. Stand in, stand in the gap and lift me up in prayer because the cross is right around the corner. I need you. And what did the disciples do? They fell asleep. Not once, not twice, but Three times they fell asleep, and while they fell asleep, while they were sleeping, they missed the victory that Jesus had won while they were sleeping because it was while they were sleeping that Jesus was in the garden saying, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus found victory even before the cross. He found victory when he submitted to the Father's will, when he surrendered his life in the garden, and they had missed it because they were asleep. And so Peter says, don't be like me. Don't make the same mistake I made. You need to be vigilant. You need to be awake. You need to be on guard. You need to be sharp and ready because you have an adversary. Your adversary, the devil. The word adversary means someone who accuses you in court. You have someone who is accusing you day and night before the father, and he's constantly accusing you of things. The devil the word means a slanderer. Now, here's what I hope you understand about slander, is slander is not always a lie. Sometimes slander can be speaking the truth, but with malice intent, with harmful intent. Does that make sense? 
And so the enemy, he's there. He doesn't need to make up any lies for why I shouldn't be able to make it to heaven, does he? But he's slanderous, and he's speaking there in front of the Father, and he's shouting to God, saying, Chris shouldn't be there because of this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And he doesn't even need to lie. I don't deserve it. I know I don't deserve it, Lord. Your adversary, the slanderer, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.